just in case you haven't got the message yet, God wants you here. And if your um, if your immediate thought is, Rob's not saying that to me. No, I'm not. God is. God wants you here. God is not surprised by what's going on in your life. He's not short of answers. And this morning and the sermon that I'm about to bring really reminds us of that. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord God, we want to hear you this morning. We do know that you're a speaking God and you speak in many ways to us. And we just want to hear. We know that you're a good God and what you have for us is good. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's challenging, but it's always good. So help us all to hear your voice today. Amen. Now, the last time that I had the privilege of speaking at Freedom Church, we were looking at Genesis 16, in which Sarah's maid, Hagar, pregnant with Ishmael, is treated badly by her mistress, so badly that she runs away. So I experienced a little bit of deja vu as I started preparing to preach, uh, started preparing this sermon today, um, where we see Sarah send Hagar away again. And this time for good with her now teenage son, Ishmael. Uh, so today we're in Genesis 21, verses 8 to 21. But before we read that passage, we're going to read something from the New Testament. Now, preachers are normally confronted with a couple of basic questions. What does this passage mean? And what does it mean for us? And I'd say that one of the jobs of a preacher is to seek to tease out those answers, calling on the Holy Spirit for help to shed light on the passage to help us understand it and uh, he's way ahead of us because 2,000 years ago the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the letter of Galatians and in Galatians chapter 4 we find very clear answers to our questions now I know I'm doing this all, all, all the wrong way around giving us the answers before we've done the hard work of study but bear with me and turn with me, if you will, to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 22 to 31. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. 
for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born of the power of the Spirit. Remember that. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Now, if you can recall the story so far, this will feel quite familiar. Paul says that Abraham has two sons. One son, Ishmael, was born of Hagar, the servant, through human effort, and he represents God's old covenant. His mother represents that covenant, the covenant that brought slavery to the law. And those are quite strong words, aren't they? The law brought slavery. Relentless, ruthless, hard, The other son, Isaac, was born of Sarah, the the legitimate wife, through the power of God. And Sarah represents the new covenant of freedom. We are children of the free woman, children of the new covenant, children born to anticipate and experience the heavenly Jerusalem. Wonderful. And with all this in mind, let's now turn to today's passage. We're back in the Old Testament at Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verses 8 to 21. And I make no apologies for reading a lot of scripture. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded... Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water, 
she quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. What do we make of this passage then? Quick recap. Abraham and Sarah have trouble conceiving. So they agree that Abraham should try and father a child through Sarah's Egyptian maid, Hagar. Hagar falls pregnant with Ishmael and lords it over Sarah. Sarah strongly objects and treats Hagar so badly she runs off to the wilderness. In the wilderness, the angel of the Lord, I repeat, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and tells her that God has heard her and to go back to her mistress. Now, this must have had a profound effect on Hagar. It's not every day you see the angel of the Lord, who, by the way, was quite possibly Jesus prior to his incarnation. Next, God establishes the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, and he and Sarah receive their new names from God. Angels, yes again, angels, appear to Abraham and Sarah and confirm that Sarah will bear a son, which Sarah, due to her age and her many years of barrenness, has great trouble believing. And then at the start of chapter 21, as we heard last week, Sarah finally receives her heart's desire and Isaac is born. Sarah's 90 at this point, giving birth at 90. Abraham's 100, and it's 25 years since the events of Genesis 12, when God first tells him he'll make of Abraham a great nation. 25 years. That's a wait. And so here we are. Isaac's been born. Hooray. And we now face the question, well, what about Ishmael then? And what about Hagar? And that's what this passage answers. Let's break it down. Genesis 21 verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. Isaac's probably two or three now, which would make Ishmael about 16. And scripture doesn't tell us whether there was a weaning party for Ishmael. And my guess is that there wasn't. And that Abraham and Sarah knew there was something special about Isaac, so they celebrated him more than his older brother. The age of weaning was probably a bigger deal in those days than it is now. It certainly came a bit later than we're used to, and infant mortality was, of course, higher then than now. So for Isaac to survive to this point is something worth celebrating. And in this feast for Isaac, Abraham involves his community. It was a great feast, a huge feast, a proper Middle East feast with not a cucumber sandwich in sight. And verse 9, but Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Now why is Ishmael making fun of his half-brother Isaac? Why do children do anything? Well, we have the human reasons and we have the spiritual reasons. For the human reasons, we need look no farther than the fact that 
Isaac was probably a favorite. He was the son of the legal marriage. And if Isaac was a favorite, his half-brother would have been jealous. Ask any child who thought that their sibling was a favorite. It's not a pleasant experience, and in that case, mocking the sibling might have been a form of revenge or just, just purely an expression of emotion. So, so much for the natural explanation. But in the supernatural sphere, we see a much deeper, darker purpose in it. And you might remember, I particularly drew our, drew our attention to one verse as we read Galatians 4. That was Galatians 4.29. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So we have in the Genesis verse not just a clash between siblings, but a clash between the flesh and the spirit. A clash between doing things our way and doing them God's way. Jumping the gun versus trusting in the promise. And also note in Genesis 21.9, it's mentioned that Ishmael's the son of Sarah's Egyptian servant, Hagar. And so we have right here the start of the clash between Egypt and the descendants of Abraham, which reaches its fullness 400 years later when the Israelites become slaves in Egypt. At that point, metaphorically, Isaac is back to being mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. There's a potent story to be read in these verses. On the one hand, we see a, a jealous son laughing, and on the other hand, we see the forces of darkness, our flesh and the devil, at war against the children of God. He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Don't be surprised when persecutions come. Rather be surprised when they don't come. Genesis 21.10, so she, that's Sarah, turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. The I won't have it part was added by the NLT translators, and I humbly think they made a mistake, because it makes Sarah sound like she's stamping her foot and throwing a tantrum. The ESV translation is, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the reason I'm being careful here about the tone of this verse is that, again, we have two layers. The, the first layer, the human layer, the layer of the flesh, is the legitimate wife asserting herself over the slave, the, the mother promoting her child. He's Isaac. He's my boy. He's the one who should inherit. But the second layer is a spiritual layer, the layer of prophecy. And at that layer, we see that Sarah is simply stating the truth from God's perspective. Back in Genesis 17, verse 16, God said this to Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. He said this to Abraham about Sarah. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. 
So Sarah knows. She knows, and she has faith, that because God has given her this miraculous son, the rest of the word from God is also true about that son becoming a great nation. So Sarah's statement is prophetic. Hagar, Ishmael, had to leave, at least in some sense, for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And so, of course, there's a conflict in Abraham, verse 11. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Too right. He's a father. And however these circumstances came about, Ishmael is his son. He loves him. He doesn't want to exclude his son from his presence. He doesn't particularly want to disadvantage his son. Abraham isn't happy about this. And we can sympathize with him, can't we? Not many people truly want to have their children taken away from them. And remember that Ishmael's about 16. You know, Abraham's had him around for 16 years, and now Sarah's asking him to let go. And even though it was his mess, he didn't have to sleep with Hagar, remember. Even though it's his mess, he doesn't want it to end this way. I love the fact that the Bible gives us this glimpse into the heart and anguish of a troubled father. We should pause on this verse, empathize with Abraham. We can relate to him. What's about to happen will hurt him. And now we come to the most surprising verse, Genesis 21 verse 12. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant, Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Back in chapter 16, Abraham went along with Sarah, and that resulted in expelling the pregnant Hagar. How reluctant must he have been to do this again? But that's what God tells him. You're in authority here, Abraham, but I am telling you, to listen to your wife. Gentlemen, how many of us need to listen to the wise and sometimes surprising words we hear from our godly ladies? Do not be upset, God tells him. Buck up, take courage. God's about to rip off the plaster from the damage that was done back in chapter 16. Rip it off. Abraham, there are consequences of failing to trust and obey God. This is life in a fallen world. This is life where we have sinful hearts that rebel against God, that forget the example of Jesus, that fail to say as our Lord did, yet not my will, but yours be done. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Because that's my will. Don't fail me this time, Abraham. It reminds me of the wonderful C.S. Lewis book, The Silver Chair. It's part of the Narnia series and probably my favorite of the seven. Aslan's given the children several signs to follow and they keep blowing it. And when it comes to the, the very last sign, the last chance, they're still not sure. Does Aslan really want them to release this apparently crazy prince from the silver chair. 
but they disobeyed so many previous times, they daren't disobey now. And so they do what their minds are telling them not to do. They release the prince. And in doing so, they break the evil enchantment that has been cast on him. We must obey God even when it makes no sense. Especially when it makes no sense. I mean, seek confirmation, speak to your spiritual leaders, but obey. Don't let your heart or your head turn you away from God's will. He knows best. And in the fullness of time, he will right every wrong. Obey. Now, this is perhaps the most crucial message in today's passage, so we need to press this point home. Listen, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. He is wiser than us. He knows many things that we do not know. If we don't obey, it will backfire for us. God's will is perfect. His ways are perfect. So it stands to reason that any other way is not perfect. We have to obey. And that's the challenge. Well, we say, but I'm not sure what God wants me to do. There are hundreds of directions, if not thousands, so much guidance in the Bible, we can never be short of ways to obey God. Love our neighbors, practice hospitality, look after the afflicted, bind up the brokenhearted, preach the good news. Sometimes we wait around hoping that God's going to deliver a special message to us. The key to our lives. The one big thing he wants us to do. I've got news for us. He loves us. He considers us precious enough to have sent his son to die for us. But he does not need to speak a specific set of words to any one of us for us to know what we're to be about. We are followers of Christ. Abraham was a follower of the living God. He knew better when he made his blunder with Hagar. So you can bet that he listened up when God said, Abraham, do what I say. I pray that we all receive the special words from God that touch our hearts and give us courage and help us see our purpose and direction. But that's not essential. No special light bulb moment is required. He's already given us all that we need with the Holy Spirit living inside us and his word in our hands. We must just obey. And then the reassuring words come to Abraham. Verse 13. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. That's the kindness of God. Abraham has to send his son away, but God tells him that Ishmael will be okay. 
more than okay. He'll become a nation. That's not the whole story, of course, but it's enough to be of comfort to Abraham, and so he obeys. And then we see this tragic, heart-wrenching scene. Ishmael and Hagar have been wandering in the wilderness so long, they've run out of food and water. And Hagar sets her weak, malnourished teenage son under a bush, and Ishmael was in a bad way. And she retreats about 100 feet away because she can't bear to watch him die of hunger, of thirst, of exposure. She has no hope, almost no hope. If only it didn't take us reaching the end of our hope to remember that we have a God who cares for us. Verse 16 tells us she lifted up her voice and wept. And then verse 17, like a cool rain after a dry and dusty eastern summer comes the voice of the angel of God from heaven. Genesis 21 from verse 17. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. God's ways are mysterious. He told Abraham that he'd make him a father of nations, and the right way for this to happen was for Sarah to fall miraculously pregnant and bear Isaac. But they jumped the gun, and the wrong son came via Hagar. God could have just disregarded Ishmael completely, just continued with Isaac. And to my flawed human mind, Ishmael didn't need to become a nation in his own right. Romans 9, 14 to 16. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, and Paul's quoting Exodus 33, verse 19 now, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. I love the way the NLT has translated that verse, Romans 9.16. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. God chose to bless Ishmael. And it was certainly not his fault that he was born to the slave. And so God blessed Ishmael. He blessed him by saving him that day when he heard Ishmael and Hagar's cries. And he blessed him as he grew and became prosperous and through his descendants, numerous. We make bad choices, don't we? If this message tells us anything, it's that it's not all over just because we mess up. Ishmael goes on to be blessed, and Isaac goes on to be blessed. Galatians tells us that Isaac represents a new covenant, and Ishmael the old, so it's not all good for Ishmael. 
But it's not all bad either. God saved him. God saved his life, saved the boy who had made fun of his rival, who'd mocked Abraham's true heir. God exercised his mercy towards Ishmael and Hagar again, because this was the second time they'd found themselves in the wilderness, remember, the first time Ishmael was still in the womb. No situation is so bad that God can't redeem it. And no place is so far from God, no person is so far from God that he can't hear. God heard the boy crying. And many, many of the commentaries point out that Ishmael's name literally means God hears. God hears. If he can hear the cries of a forlorn mother in the desert, he can certainly hear you and me. And God didn't merely bless Ishmael's future. He provided for their practical, immediate physical needs. Verse 19, then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Wells in the wilderness are about as rare as you might expect. Don't doubt for a second that this was a miracle. This was what we call providence. The way that God supplies our needs according to his riches in glory. How hard is it for God to provide a well when he was the one to create the entire universe? How hard is it for God to feed us, clothe us, heal us. If God allows us to experience poverty, suffering, allows us to receive his discipline, the discipline that's for our good, how hard is it for God to give us the strength to endure? 2005, our son James was in intensive care, not yet a year old, and he'd suffered septicemia yet again, and he was dying, really desperately poorly, and they talked to us about turning off life support. We cried out to God, Sharon and I. Let me tell you, we cried, and we walked down that corridor out of intensive care, and we said, God, we need you. James miraculously recovered and his consultant couldn't believe what he was seeing as James breathed on his own let's be clear here whether God intervenes by saving a life or intervenes by walking with us through bereavement he is no less God so we cry out with Hagar and Ishmael, save us, save our children, save our neighbors, save our colleagues. And we have no doubt that he hears. God hears. Even if we don't suddenly see a well in the desert where there was no well before, even if things don't turn out the way we want them to, nevertheless, God hears and God saves. 
John 7, John 7, verses 37 to 38. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Are you in the wilderness today? Turn your eyes to Jesus and see that he is the water you need that will quench your spiritual thirst. Cry out because God hears and God saves. We have some biographical notes at the end of our passage, verses 20 and 21. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. I'm not going to make too much of this skillful archer point, but the Bible comments on it, so it's important. The only way he became skillful was through practice. And having practiced and learned his craft, he became well able to hunt. And if you're living in the wilderness, that's a pretty useful skill to have. Are we applying our time effectively? Learning the right skills. Making the most of our abilities and the opportunities that God has given us. You don't have to answer. We read that Hagar arranged for Ishmael to marry an Egyptian. And Hagar, of course, was from Egypt herself, so that this makes sense. But it's unfortunate. And I'll tell you why. Time and time again, through the rest of the Old Testament, we see the perils of intermarriage. And this isn't a question of race. This was a question of spiritual purity. The Israelite nation, formed out of Abraham, were more or less the only ones at the time worshipping the true God. So the surrounding nations, including Egypt, they worshipped false gods, sacrificed humans, engaged in unspeakable acts in pursuit of their evil religions. So this marriage of a son of Abraham into a country of false religion was not wise. We know too that in the Bible, Egypt frequently represents sin and bondage and paganism. Verse 21 is ominous. We noted before, didn't we, about the fact that the descendants of Isaac would end up ultimately in slavery to Egypt. Although Ishmael was saved, a storm was coming. Our sin has consequences. Genesis 16, 11 to 12, when the angel of the Lord speaks to the pregnant Hagar and tells her return home to Abraham, he also says this, Genesis 16, 11 to 12. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. 
Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man, and he was to be at war with his own flesh and blood. Every word God speaks is true. Ishmael was saved, but that storm was to come. The battle between Isaac's descendants and Ishmael's, between the old covenant and the new, between the flesh and the spirit. And that battle will continue raging until our Lord puts all things under his feet, which he will. There's more to this passage than meets the eye, isn't there? I'm so glad that we have the benefit of the Apostle Paul's perspective on it, as he says in Galatians 22:28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. We, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. Do any of the characters in this chapter stand out as role models for us? Is there any behavior we should copy? And we've clearly seen that they're all imperfect people just like us. But in each of them, we see something commendable. We, we can look to Sarah, who prophetically sees the difficult path that they must follow and pursues it. We can follow Abraham, who listens to God and obeys, even when the instruction causes him great personal pain. We can follow Hagar, who did everything she could to protect her boy and cried out, when things were bleak. We can follow Ishmael too. Yes, Ishmael, who also cried out when he was on the point of death. Just let's remember to call out to God a lot sooner than that. Every hour, every day, he hears, he heals, he saves. But above all, we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the greatest one to have been born according to the Spirit, the one who walks before us, who suffered in our place, who brought us back into fellowship with God the Father, and through whom we inherit our eternal, wonderful destiny as children of the promise. All praise to him. Before I, um, as I was sat down over there, I just looked at the title at the the start of this passage and it said God protects Hagar and uh, Ishmael and I thought about some of the things that God's been saying this morning I don't know if you feel like you're more of an Ishmael than an Isaac that maybe things in your past life have mitigated against you that have conspired against you that you aren't where you were supposed to be God protected Hagar and Ishmael. He hasn't forgotten you. He never could. God bless.